I've heard it said that your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. But before that, you need to be sure you're being talked about at all. On this episode, how to get noticed by key stakeholders and how to improve those relationships so what's said about you actually aligns with your strengths. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 614. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. If we want to lead effectively, one of the most important things that we need to do is to build relationships with stakeholders, to be noticed, and to think about ourselves not just as the person we are that brings so much value to the world and our relationships, but also ourselves as a product and the importance of building our brands. Today, I'm so glad to welcome an expert who's had a tremendous amount of experience will help us to do this really effectively. Daphne E. Jones has 30 years experience in general management and executive level roles at IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Hospira, and General Electric, but began her career as a secretary. At GE, she served as Senior Vice President for Future of Work, SVP and CIO for Product Engineering, Imaging, and Ultrasound, and as Senior Executive and CIO for Global Services, all of which composed a $13 billion segment of GE Healthcare. She serves on the Board of Directors for AMN Healthcare, Barnes Group, and Masonite International. She is the recipient of numerous domestic and international awards and recently started a company that teaches leaders how to prepare to serve on boards. She is the author of Win When They Say You Won't, Break Through Barriers, and Keep Leveling Up Your Success. Daphne, what a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you so much, Dave. There's a premise that this entire book is built around, and the premise is that you are a product. And I like the way you phrase that, and I think that that is a phrase that some people might bristle against, but you and I are in agreement that that's actually a really important way to think about yourself and your career. When you say you're a product, tell us what you mean. What I mean by that is when you are doing whatever it is that you do, there is somebody who is enjoying what you deliver. If you're in HR, you have a marketplace and your marketplace is the company and you deliver talent, you deliver capital, human capital strategy. If you're in sales, you deliver revenue to your company and your marketplace is the company. The marketplace could be your customers. But no matter what you do, there's some Body in your marketplace that wants and appreciates, or maybe doesn't appreciate, what it is that you that you offer. So you think of yourself as a product. You have a market. That's the first point. The second point is, as a product, you have a value. There is something that, about you that somebody appreciates and is willing to pay for. There's a price that you have as a product. In our case, our price is our compensation. It's our salary and it's our our bonus and it's our options for long-term incentive bonus. That's our price. And if our price ever gets too high where it exceeds our value, 
then you as a product will get discontinued or you will get put on a lower shelf because you are just not going to be delivering the value. You have competition. There are people who want my seat at the board table. There are people who wanted my job as the CIO of various companies. And just like Lowe's has Home Depot and Pepsi has Coca-Cola, there's always somebody vying to take your spot in your market, right? And then lastly, when you think about a product, a product remains relevant only if it continues to improve itself and and improves itself over time. And and you don't want to be like a carton of milk that has an expiration date. You want to be that product that continually has value and is relevant and is contemporary and solves the problems that your marketplace has. And so as a product, you think about how can I get better? How can I not be irrelevant? How can I beat my competition? And how can I keep serving value to my marketplace? I've heard in the past, some people bristle at a term like product and they they like, I don't want to think about myself as a product per se. And yet that's how everyone else is going to think about you, especially at the senior leadership levels, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they may not call you a product, but they're going to say, what have you done for me lately? And that's what products do. My car gets me from here to there. If it breaks down, then it's lost value to me. If it breaks down continually, then I have to replace it. And so, yeah, it's not a very, it may not seem humanistic, but it's real. And if you think of it that way, it may take the emotion out of it. It may take and say, you know what? I had get it. Now I need to have a strategy for how I can improve. And it's not so personal in a, in a way and, and subjective. It's objective. Are you adding value to your company? And if you think of it like that, that you can look at it a little bit more dispassionately, if you will. I appreciate how many personal stories you share in this book about your experience and the people around you. And one of those stories is a significant moment when you were moving into a new role at Johnson & Johnson, and another more senior executive was departing. And she had some advice for you in as you connected with her on why she was leaving. Tell me a bit about that conversation and how it changed your thinking about your own career. Yeah. And I really never thought about the need for support as much. You get it from the time you're a baby, your mother supports you or your father or your grandmother, somebody supports you. And that support doesn't stop from your teachers to other people along your life. So when I went to this company within J&J, she was leaving and I'm like, oh, congratulations. Are you getting promoted? You're going to another J&J company? She's like, no, they're kicking me out. And I, I didn't understand what had happened because I was getting promoted to come to work for this company and she was the president. And I had never worked for a female president before. So I was so excited looking forward to that. And she said, no, I haven't made my my quota as a company in two years. And J&J will give you one chance the first year. But after the second year, you have to know somebody or have some support from people pulling in your corner pulling for you in in your corner. And she didn't have that. And she gave me the advice that said, Daphne, I made the mistake of working all the time and never investing in relationships that in the moment of need would be able to come to bat for me. They say that you never want to fix the roof when it's raining. You don't want to wait until you're in trouble before you reach out and ask for help. And she never really pre-invested in a proactive manner in relationships that when 
you know, it was time for her to, for somebody to say, should we let her go or should we give her another chance? If she had had potentially the right relationships and having a sponsor, she might have been kept for another year. So her advice to me was keep your relationships, find people who will invest in you and keep them warm because you never know when you're going to need them. You write in talking about that story, I'm quoting you, I realized that some stakeholders I was thinking about would have an interest in me and others would care less. Not all stakeholders who were in my circle would be in my corner. That goes back a bit to what we were talking about, you being a product, of just getting realistic about who are the stakeholders and who's going to be in your corner and who's not. And like you said, what are you going to do about that then, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at a lot of us know about the net promoter score, which kind of measures customer engagement and customer satisfaction. And there are people who take my product and they don't like it and they're detractors. And if the people who love my product, those are those are the supporters. And if I have more detractors than supporters, I'm going out of business. And if I have more supporters and detractors, then I have an opportunity to continue to live for another day and provide value to to my customers. And so again, like a product, there are people who love you and there are people who hate you and there are people who don't care. And you have to know where you stand. It's like you take your temperature, you understand I'm 98.6. If I'm if I'm a degree over that, I have a fever. And then then you can take action and say, well, what am I going to do now that I have all these detractors? Let me take that information that I'm getting as feedback Let me take it as information and take it strategically and not take it personally. So when I have that fever, I'm going to take some Tylenol or some Motrin. I'm not going to cry and get upset and do nothing. I'm going to take a look and say, I've got a detractor, this fever that's in me. I'm going to do something about it. And that's basically how you you treat yourself as a a product with net promoter score, detractors, and and supporters. Yeah. And that's where I think, like you said a bit ago, like, Having uh, using a word like product and thinking about it that way takes a bit of the emotion out of it, and then it's it's data. It's like okay, so uh, it's actually helpful in some ways to look at this much more objectively and say, all right, here I am. And one of the things that I find really helpful, you highlight in the book, is a model from Harvey Coleman on how to both frame and grow your relationships, handle organizational politics, and build your brand. And the model, three elements of it: performance image and exposure. And I think maybe it'd be helpful to like look at each one of these and what they are. Performance, of course, is the obvious one, right? Doing your job well. We all need to do that. That's table stakes, right? Right. Right. So you start with performance and you understand, well, what does winning look like for my boss, for my department, for my company, right? We're trying to get more revenue. We're trying to get more market share. We're trying to beat competition. Whatever it is, you know how to perform. Nothing else matters when you're new to a company or new in your in, in your career than can she deliver? Can she do as as requested in terms of adding the value? And so when when you know how to perform, then you just it's like breathing. You just do it every day. The next thing is, well, what did, will differentiate me from somebody else? How do I, if we're all performing now, not everybody performs well, but let's say as you go up this triangle, it gets narrower. What differentiates you up that pyramid from somebody else? Well, it will, chances are, it'll be not necessarily the tangible performance. It'll be the intangible image. What does Daphne's brand look like? 
when people know that I'm coming into a meeting, will they be excited and say, oh my God, we're going to get a lot of work done. Daphne is so creative. She is, she's funny. She collaborates with us so well, or are they going to be concerned? She's going to be late. Uh, She's always complaining. She's always blaming somebody else for whatever's going on. I'm not looking forward to this meeting. That is your image. It precedes you before you go anywhere. If anybody knows anything about you, your image precedes you. And so it's not only how you look and how you dress and are you neat, are you sloppy, or you wear jeans all the time, or you wear a nice suit. It's your image of how you show up, your emotional intelligence. And so that makes people feel a certain way about you and and you're predictable. They're like, whenever I send Daphne into battle, she's going to always come out shining and she's going to make the other people feel valued and welcomed. That's your image. And then that's still not enough because you can have the greatest image in the world, but if only two people know about you to, and you have a great image of those two people, then you may not get that opportunity that should be yours. And so the question is, who will speak for you and who will represent you? Who will take their political, their influential, their positional capital and invest it and say, you know what? Daphne understands engineering. She She's great with products. She would be great to go to Brazil to start up our new manufacturing facility. But if they don't, if you're not known by people, then nobody will recommend you for that next big or great opportunity. So exposure is about making sure that people know you just as you know them. And it's even more important maybe that they know you more than you know them. And so that way you always have the opportunity to know that someone's going to represent me in this meeting and the opportunity will not pass me by because I was an unknown. But you don't want to be overexposed. You can, there's a such a thing as being overexposed. A lot of times people of color and women we're underexposed, but then there are times when you're so exposed. That, you know, I remember one time I was on the billboard for J&J. I forgot what highway it was, but you could see my picture on a billboard. Mm. I'm like, that was the worst time of my life because people then say, oh, so Daphne, you're modeling now? Are you doing your job? And so there's such a thing as being overexposed as well. But the key is to have that three-part strategy well in balance. Performance, image, and exposure. Yeah, indeed. Well, you said a lot there, and I, w- I want to pull a couple of those threads. One of them is the distinction between image and exposure. Of image is the how; it's the people who know you. It's how they would describe you. But I think the distinction I'm hearing is exposure is the who. You, you may have a great brand with two people, like you said, but exposure is. It's. I think you you say it keeps you floating and rising. It's the lifeline that keeps you moving in the organization. So it's not just what people are saying. It's actually the relationships and, to some extent, the quantity of people who know about you and understand your image. That's that's the the key distinction there. I think. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Absolutely correct. Because they are the ones that will move you move into action. And two people moving into action will be less powerful unless they're the CEO and and the president, which is fine. But it'll be more of these people that have exposure to you, that have seen you in action or or, or have heard about you in action. And usually as you're the higher up you go in the company, those will typically be your sponsors, which will be your C-suite leaders who will have seen you. So yeah, it's the who. Who knows you and who do you know? Because they have to be the ones that will pull that cord and release you into the atmosphere. But the image 
has to has to be there. And your performance has to be there before the exposure is going to do you much good. Yeah, indeed. And I really appreciate the caution you make made both here and in the book that you can be overexposed. And in particular, this is something that is a trap, I think, for women of color and other folks who are in underrepresented demographics. I would imagine this is a really hard line to walk. And for someone who is listening to this and thinking like, am I underexposed? Am I overexposed? How do you know? Like, What are some of the indicators you've used to walk that line in your career? Yeah. If you have opportunities that somebody got tapped on the shoulder for that, whether it's in hindsight or before the situation happened and you say, I would be perfect for that, but nobody called you. Nobody told you about it. Nobody mentioned it. And you are kind of alone. And then when somebody does get the opportunity, you don't, you still don't hear anybody coming to you and say, you know what, you would have been perfect for this opportunity. Uh-huh. When you're, when it, when it's a deafening silence and, and, and a vacuum of, of access, a vacuum of insights, a vacuum of opportunity, that's when I think that you are, are underexposed. And then when you say that I, I am underexposed, then you have to put, plans in place to say, who are the people that I need to have exposure to? Because they're the people that are going to make decisions about me going forward. And so you have to just know that if you're never being told about opportunities or being asked to lead a team or being asked to take a trip somewhere, it's always quiet and crickets around you. That's how I I believe that you would know that you're you're underexposed. Yeah. And it's interesting that you ended up on a billboard as well. And I would imagine that's like a really hard thing to say no to in a way when it's presented. And, And like you said, you all of a sudden you end up getting the kind of attention you don't necessarily want of people saying, oh, you're spending your time just promoting yourself or, you know, marketing yourself. Yeah. I had to live that down. I mean, I didn't know I was going to be on a billboard. I Uh, was doing something for diversity. It was a diversity play and I made it into a magazine. I forgot which one it was, but it was really an ad for Johnson and Johnson being the company of diversity. So I was the face, one of the faces of diversity. And it just so happened, I guess it did so well that they put it on a billboard. So I had no idea that people going to work every day were going to see me. And yeah, that was tough because I'm a fairly, I'm an extrovert. And so I tend to, to be around and and discuss things. So I'm naturally vivacious, if that's the right word, I guess. And so, so I'm already not a shrinking violet, And so now to have this non-shrinking violet on a billboard, that just was too much. So I had to really take a step back and decline opportunities because I wanted the focus to be on my work and not my face. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. One of the tactics that you recommend for all of us is looking at stakeholders and mapping things out. And you invite us all to do some time to think about who are the stakeholders, what are their roles? relationships, interest, their influence. I'm wondering if you could, for someone who's never thought about that, I think a lot of us like think about that when we look at competition and products and services out there in the marketplace, and we map those things out all the time, but we don't necessarily think about that from ourselves. For someone who's never done that before, where would you invite them to start? I would have them start with what is it they want to achieve? 
to, to me, it always starts with a target, a direction, a destination, a goal, an objective. What is important to me that's going to help me achieve the win that I want in my life? So first of all, where are you going? But then the second part is, well, who are the people that have been there, done that, who can possibly help me? Now, when you look at who could help me, there are people who could help me and don't like me. And there are people who can help me who love me. And then there are people who may not be able to help me and they love me. And there are people who may not be able to help me really, and they hate me. And the fact they might try to hurt me. And so understanding who, again, is in your circle and who needs to be really in your corner. And I get this corner thing because I'm an amateur boxer. Ah. I've never been knocked out, thank God. But when you are in the boxing ring and the bell goes off, you go into the corner. Who's in your corner is supposed to be who's there to help you, to help relieve the cut, to help give you, you know, water, to help give you strategy so that they can push you back out there and so you could go win the next round. And so knowing who you need to have is important and knowing if they're willing to help you is is just as important. So you've got to decide who's in my who who do I have as stakeholders that I need, who do I have to build a relationship with and and it, they always should have something in it for them. They may want to do something themselves that you may be able to help them with reverse mentoring or what have you or they may just love to see you win. But you have to understand where do they stand in your life? And are they are they that person that will that will be a supporter of yours or detractor of yours? And when do you engage them? So it's what do you want to do? Who's in your corner and who needs to be in your corner? What influence do they have on your outcome? What do they need for themselves that you can help them with? And then you engage them and keep the relationship warm so you don't have it grow cold and then you need them. The next thing you know, you haven't spoken to them in four years. That's a tough time to go back and ask somebody for help when you've never reached out to them for four years. Yeah, indeed. And there's something powerful about getting that down on paper and mapping it out, isn't there? Mapping it out. <laughs> Absolutely. You got. You have to be able to see it. And I, I do this this framework that says if somebody is high influence, that they can really help you win and they're low interest, then you got to do something special with that person. And you put them in this two by two box that says high influence, high interest. You feed them, you, you give them time, you, you, you let them know what's going on all the time. And you put them in this two by two box that, that says high influence, high interest. And then there may be people who are low interest and low influence. Then you have to say, well, maybe they're not really an influencer. Maybe they're not really a stakeholder. And But you put your different stakeholders in the category that they belong in. And now you have a strategy for how you're going to engage somebody and how often. So if they're high influence and high interest, you want to engage with them a lot more than if somebody is low influence, but maybe high interest. If they can't do much to influence your career, but they're interested, you're not going to feed them as much or connect with them as much as you will with somebody who has high interest, high influence. But you will want to connect with them because you never know their influence might change, right? They may get promoted themselves into a new career or a new whatever. Next thing you know, they went from 
being of low influence to high influence. You don't want to ignore everybody or ignore them. You want to just keep an eye on them and move them into the right box based on the level of influence and interest that they have at any point in time. It gets back to what we were talking about earlier of like, you're, you're, you're highlighting data, like just where are people, what's going on right now in the organization, what do these relationships look like? And what I'm hearing you say is that this is, it's all about being intentional rather than just showing up and seeing who ends up on your calendar each day or who you accidentally bump into virtually or otherwise, that you're yeah. really thinking intentionally about particularly those folks who have high influence, high interest. How do I really enhance those relationships, have more time with those people, be thinking right. more about their interests? If I'm doing that well and consistently, that makes a really big difference. That's a great point. I mean, because you only have so much time in a day. Yeah. And so if you've got four people that are are influencers or high or low interest or high or low influence, you've got to decide and prioritize where am I going to spend my time? Which influencer or stakeholder will potentially give me the biggest return on my investment of my time? So that's an absolute point. And, and the point of the book is to use these business tools such as stakeholder mapping that we've used in our career at one point. Let's use these same tools for ourselves to help ourselves win and not only help our companies win in the market. And so these are are, are ways that companies use to say, well, where am I going to spend my time in, in when I go into the territory? You look at your customer or your prospects map and you'll see which prospects are most likely to buy and which prospects are least likely to buy. Well, based on that, you're not going to spend your time with the prospects that are least likely to buy unless it's going to be a long-term, long putt that you'll say, well, I'll invest 20 minutes today, but I know that they're not going to buy for two years. Well, you'll spend only 20 minutes with that prospect, but with the customer who is more likely to buy, you might spend two hours with them because they are, they're most likely to buy next month. And you can tell based on the criteria of what's who's a hot prospect and who's not as to how you determine how to spend your time. So these are business tools that we can use for our own personal development and growth. Yeah, and it's just a smart economic decision about our time and our resources. And going back to we are a product, how do we use those time and resources well in order to engage in the way that is going to support us, our careers, our teams? It's huge. And, and you really, I mean... There's there's so much here of you of, of roles we won't get into here of just of like all the different kinds of roles we've talked about this on the show before of the distinction between sponsors and mentors and coaches and I, I really thought that what you say about mentoring in the book is just so helpful and practical. We all know the value of mentoring. We've all heard it for many many years, and I, I really appreciate what you said. You say though about mentoring, and I'm quoting you now. No matter how you find your mentor or how he or she finds you, it's very important that whenever your mentor suggests that you do something, do it. No one wants to <laughs> yeah. advise someone who will not listen and not follow through. That is an easy way to never get on their calendar again. Even if you have to alter their suggestion to fit in your situation, that's okay. They want to know you are a good protege. Boy, that's a key point for a relationship with a mentor, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, who wants to have somebody that they talk to 
and, and the advice goes in one ear and out the other, then what value am I as a mentor providing you? And again, it's about value, time, value, and money. And so I'm spending my intellectual capital. I'm spending my lunchtime with you. I'm spending whatever I'm investing, but yet still my investment in this protege is not going anywhere because they're not doing anything. That's almost a form of rejection in a way. And who wants to be rejected? And so if you're not going to listen to my guidance, then that you're rejecting me. And so I you must not really need me or value me as a mentor. And so to be a good protege, you have to give back that the, that the mentor feels that they're providing value to society, providing value to the company, because we all want to know that we are, are creating our successors. We're creating the people that are going to come behind us. We always want to be able to say, boy, I create, I helped groom five presidents or three CIOs or whatever. And that's sort of what a, pro, a, a mentor will feel when the protege comes to them and and listens to them. Next thing you know, they got promoted. They got sent on an expat assignment. That mentor feels amazing that they were able to contribute to the growth of an individual. And and but short of that, it's rejection if you don't yeah. listen to them. Yeah, you hint at this in the quote that there's going to be times where you're talking with someone who's a mentor and they've got high influence, they've got high interest, and you hear some advice. You're like, ooh. <laughs> I don't know about that, right? How do you navigate that? Like, how do you still maybe follow through in the spirit of that, but also maybe adapt a bit? Yeah, it it, because nobody has the same experience in life. And so we have to not go through life saying people are on Instagram where they're on, they watch TV and they're saying, oh, all I got to do is just follow this particular person's life and, and mine will be the same. Well, no, it won't be the same. And so you have to, and I think the, the, the mentor knows that as well, that take the framework. You know, I have a chapter in my book, or maybe it's a section that's called take in the meat and spit out the bones, mm. right? So there's parts of the guidance that you'll get that is very, very applicable. And there'll be parts of it that are not, but without having talked to that mentor, you would have gotten nothing you'd have had no meat and no bone. And so the mentor understands that your situation is is different. And so you just have to have that ability to to talk to the the mentor, talk to them about what it is that is going on and say, this sounds really interesting, like something that I could do. I see I would probably make some tweaks a little bit, but I think I can do this. So you you don't tell them, no, I'm not going to do it. You tell them, this looks really, this sounds like I can, I can implement this in, in my next 60 or 90 days, but are they going to look for you to go point by point? No, they're expecting you though, to get the gist and the framework of what they're trying to suggest. And then you apply the framework to your situation. Take in the meat and spit out the bones. I screwed that up so much early in my career. You know, I was thinking about what you just said, and my tendency was early on that if I had someone in my professional network that I didn't really care for or didn't like or felt like I'd gotten some weird advice from at some point, is I would kind of like just write them off entirely. And mm. I learned at some point, kind of by accident, that someone could talk to me for 20 or 30 minutes giving me advice. And I could grab the one thing, the meat, as you say, mm -hmm. 
use mm-hmm. that, then go back and tell them about what worked and like ignore the other 90%. And you know what? They never like said, Hey, why didn't you do the other 90%? They're like, wow, right, great. Right, you found right. the right thing. I mean, that was a key distinction for me. And I love that invitation from you on just like find the thing that's going to be useful and move on that rather than spending the time thinking about everything else. That's right. That's right. You've got to know which is, you'll get a lot of opportunities at bad, a lot of opportunities to, to get insights. You won't get, you won't latch on to every one of them because you just can't, that was their experience. You're going to have yours and they're different. Invitation I have for everyone is to grab the book. There's there's so much in here. There's tons we're not even talking about in this conversation. I think it's worth picking up just to really get a sense of the stakeholder mapping, the frameworks you put in here, all the images. Super helpful to get this down on paper, really get clear on what the relationships are that you have right now. What are those relationships like? What's the influence level? What's the interest? Starting there is huge for everyone. And you've got a wonderful invitation for us too, Daphne. If folks grab the book and send you a message, you actually have a workbook that you'll pass along to folks as well too, right? I sure do. I mean, this the book has a lot of lot of stuff in it. And we've created a workbook that helps you go from chapter one to chapter two and, and ask some key questions for you to make sure you're getting the, the meat out of each chapter and not the bones. And so if you send me an email to Daphne at DaphneEJones.com and send me a copy of your receipt or send me a picture of you with the book. I will send you a free copy of the digital workbook. Nice. Well, thank you so much for making that available. (laughs) You're welcome. So we'll get that in the notes. We'll get that in this week's weekly leadership guide that goes out to uh, everyone, of course. Daphne, one last question for you. I, I, I often ask people what they've changed their mind on. I think that leaders, experts, as we've talked about in this conversation, are constantly growing. We have to. The world's changing around us, right? As you've been writing this book in the midst of everything going on in the world the last couple of years and now talking to people about your work and coaching and mentoring other leaders, what's something that you've changed your mind on in the last year or two? I have been very self-centered prior to now, part of it because I was the only child for a little while growing up. So my mom was always about me and other reasons like I was told that I wasn't going to amount to much. So I had to spend time proving that I was really going to amount to to a lot because people kind of undervalued me and overlooked me. And then when I got cancer, breast cancer, about two years when I, well, when I was diagnosed about two years ago, I had to make decisions and I had to make a decision about my book and my life and my audience. And I realized that that if I looked at it this as only being about me, like I've been used to looking at things about me, then the book wouldn't be finished. The book would not be complete. It would not be, I would not have been able to finish it because it would have been about me totally going through radiation and getting surgery and all those things and feeling sorry for myself and crying and and all that. And I, I had to change my mind and say, you know what, Daphne, this for God's sake is not about you. This book is about the women and the people of color and men who have been overlooked, undervalued, who don't know that they don't need permission to prosper, who don't need to suffer in silence, who don't need to feel like they have to be lifted up from above. And that's the only way that they will win. And, and I, when I said that is what's most important, 
then I was able to channel my energies certainly towards getting better and getting surgery. But I'm like, no, this book is not going to be put on top of a shelf, never to be looked at. I'm going to get this thing done because it's not about Daphne anymore. So I changed my mind about what matters most. And what matters most is not just me because I'm not here by myself and I'm not here for myself. I'm here for other people to be able to win, to carry on in in the next generation or the next opportunities that come their way. So that's why I changed my mind about it. It's not about me. Daphne E. Jones is the author of Win When They Say You Won't, Break Through Barriers and Keep Leveling Up Your Success. Daphne, thank you so much for your leadership and your wisdom and sharing it with us. Thank you, Dave. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 328, How to Deal with Opponents and Adversaries. Peter Block was my guest on that episode. He's the best-selling author of a number of books, including The Empowered Manager, one of the most helpful and practical books on organizational politics for leaders I've ever read. In that conversation, Peter walks through his model of how to work with folks who have different levels of trust with you and different levels of agreement. If you're finding a lot of politics is showing up in your organization, if you're running into those invisible barriers of being able to interact well, especially with peers and colleagues, think episode 328 is a must-listen for you. The model has been, and his framework's been really helpful to many of us over the years, of thinking about where are the political forces, how do you approach those different kinds of people depending on your level of trust and agreement with them. A lot there in episode 328 for you. I'd also recommend episode 398, What You Gain by Sponsoring People. Julia Taylor Kennedy was my guest from Coquel on that episode. She made the distinction, mentors talk with you, sponsors talk about you. That and a lot more in that conversation, especially if you're thinking more on how you want to maybe sponsor people well. I'd also invite you to check out episode 506, How to Support Women of Color. Minda Hartz was my guest on that episode, best-selling author of The Memo and several other books. Uh, In Daphne's book, she talks about her perspective as a woman of color and a theme throughout the conversation in her book. Minda and I talked much more detailed about that in episode 506 and what leaders can do better to support women of color inside of their organizations. Episode 506 for that. And then finally, I'm recommending episode 599 to you, The Art of Mentoring Well with Robert Lefkowitz. Bob, the winner of the Nobel Prize, he talked with me about how does he approach mentoring? Not only did he win the Nobel Prize, but he mentored someone else who also won the Nobel Prize. Fascinating perspective on how he thinks about mentoring and supporting others and transferring knowledge and coaching. It's a very insightful conversation. If you want to mentor better, episode 599, a great listen for you. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to a whole bunch of free benefits. One of them is the ability to search the entire library by topic. Mentoring is one of those areas that not only do we talk about this conversation, mentioned in a few related episodes, but we have always done a number of episodes over the years on mentoring and 
looking at that in detail, uh, you can find that inside of the episode library, lots of details there. And there's even an audio course on mentoring under courses inside the free membership, completely free. You can access it by going over to coachingforleaders.com and it'll get you access to all of that, plus many of the other benefits of free membership. Next Monday, I'm glad to welcome Dolly Chug to the show. She is going to be joining me to discuss how to respond better when we are challenged, a reality for all of us, especially in leadership. Join me for that conversation with Dolly and have a great week.